Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How many of these kinds of cases have you worked on? Dozens and dozens. Um... Doug Fierberg is a lawyer. He specializes in cases where young people have gotten hurt at school. He calls it school violence law. In terms of the number of families who I've represented whose children have died, 15 or so, and others who've been tremendously hurt, dozens and dozens. Doug has taken a particular interest in the target-rich environment of negligent fraternities, or as he calls them, dirtbag fraternities. We've taken the time to understand exactly how misguided the fraternity system is, how dangerous it is. The sexual assaults perpetrated at frat parties, the hazing-related injuries and deaths. Doug says these aren't surprising one-off tragedies. They're predictable products of reckless institutions. Every fraternity house across the country is essentially managed by a popularly elected 18, 19, or 20-year-old who, as history has shown or statistics has shown, is part of a group that is the largest known binge drinkers on college campuses. That individual with little training is often called upon to make life and death decisions or to intervene in circumstances that may cause harm to women. And time and again, it's failed. According to Doug, the way fraternities do business would seem odd in any other industry. When national Greek organizations' insurance premiums rise because they're getting sued for hazing or sexual assault, they don't take actions to prevent hazing or sexual assault. They just pass those higher insurance costs on to frat members who pay annual dues. Doug knows of one company that insures frats. And you can see that they have had 6,000 claims and more than 60 million in payouts. Do you know how many women have been raped in those statistics? Do you know how many people have been hurt to get the 60 million? A lot. But these financial pressures haven't put frats out of business or prompted any great reckoning. So people who want to see the system change have been taking fraternities to court. Last week, three Yale University students sued their school for sex discrimination for allowing what they call a toxic frat culture to dominate the Yale social scene. All three students are women. They all say they were groped at frat parties in their first semesters at school. Their proposed fix? They want the frats to start admitting women and non-binary students as members. A CBS report noted a seeming contradiction in the case. If I am someone who goes into a party at the only place available for me to socialize, which is a fraternity, and I'm being groped and sexually assaulted and in an environment that I think is unsafe, why do I want to join the fraternity? Why don't Doug thinks the case is a bit of a stretch, too. I have a hard time seeing how the law is going to force them to uh, be gender neutral. 
But the suit against Yale shows how people who believe the fraternity industry is fundamentally rotten are throwing everything at it just to see what sticks. Today on the show, I'll talk to Doug Fierberg about some recent attempts to force fraternities to change and why so many of them have failed. I'm Christina Cotarucci, filling in today for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Do you think that forcing frats to admit women will mitigate some of the consequences that you've seen in your work, the hazing, the sexual assault and harassment? Absolutely. At that age, in my perspective, women have better judgment. Women don't let things get out of control the way they do with uh, fraternities. Women don't form alliances designed to isolate others and sexually assault them. And women don't lie like men do in those groups. Is that true? So, Have you seen that in your work, that, that women don't lie to protect you know, their, their fellow female friends the same way men do? Oh, it is the first and foremost thing that we see in virtually every fraternity hazing incident the fraternity men run as fast as they can to create untrue stories and lie to anybody and anyone in order to protect themselves and their brothers. And the way you're talking about it, I know you don't mean it to come across this way, but I think this is an argument a lot of people will make. It, it sounds like someone could be arguing that, you know, women are basically uh, responsible for babysitting the men that, you know, in order for groups of students to behave ethically, there needs to be like a mom in the house in the shape of a college-aged girl. Is that, do you agree with that? No, I, what I'm, what I'm suggesting is that it has been long known that alcohol in the Greek system is a component of injury, sexual assault, death, and a variety of other circumstances, including deadly automobile accidents. More than a decade ago, sororities knew this and made fundamental changes in the way alcohol would either be banned from sorority houses and how sororities were prohibited from being involved in fraternity houses that were not dry. No fraternities, except for one, have made any kind of similar changes. And the one that has made such changes has been implicated in the death of students since that time. Because again, it all comes down to management. For people who want to rein in bad behaving frats, the way these groups make their decisions looks borderline absurd. 
Doug says in most national frat organizations, the adults at the top can be voted down by members. So if the grown-ups propose an alcohol ban, a policy that's been shown to reduce risk of injury, the only way it's getting passed is if college-aged frat boys agree to it and enforce it on their own when they get back to school. Every other location that houses students, including student populations that aren't the worst risk, like 18 to 22-year-old men, has a management structure that involves RAs, RDs, trained officers in the Department of Housing, and allows security to regularly patrol the premises. Only in fraternity houses is this absolutely different, though it has a higher risk population. So the Yale case we talked about earlier, it argues that Yale is liable for what goes on at frats because campus social culture is really frat dependent. But isn't it kind of tricky? I mean, Yale says this fraternity is not even a part of this university. We can't tell them what to do. Well, Yale's position is too smart by half. It's not like Yale doesn't promote fraternities, not like universities don't promote fraternities. They exist. They're primary social avenue for lots of students. And universities do have a responsibility to understand what's going on with student population, particularly with these organizations that are primarily affiliated only at the undergraduate level. So for Yale to take the money from the alumni to enjoy the benefits of the social environment that those organizations provide their students, but then to play see no evil, hear no evil, is just silly. And how do they make that argument that they're not liable for what goes on at fraternities, given all the examples you just mentioned? Well, it's not a black and white decision. Many universities provide substantial support to the fraternity, even if they don't recognize them. They allow them access to university facilities to recruit. They have offices of Greek affairs or student affairs that promote the organization. They allow the fraternities to use the trademarks of the university. So virtually all of the fraternities that are off campus of Yale identify themselves using the name Yale. If Yale really wanted to get serious about limiting the influence of fraternities, it could sue a frat for trademark infringement, stop students from using their Yale email addresses to conduct frat business, or take a cue from Harvard, which has banned all single gender organizations. Students that join one anyway cannot hold leadership positions on Harvard's campus. Harvard decided that the discriminatory practices of student organizations that were gender-identified and based was antithetical to the mission of the university and that it would not make certain benefits available to people who chose membership in those types of organizations. Now, that policy is the subject of a lawsuit, but I've been widely quoted as saying that lawsuit is dumber than whale shit and it's likely to get dismissed. <laughs> when you're talking about a public university, I mean, not only 
might the argument of, you know, you're preventing students from engaging in free association be more applicable. But I also think some of the sanctions that Harvard is threatening, you know, we're not going to recommend you for a Fulbright or something like that might be might hold a little less water at like a, a big party school or something like that. It may be it may be more difficult, but but Harvard's approach is not the exclusive approach towards making fraternities safer, you know, or making these organizations less discriminatory. It's one approach. There are a number of others. Doug is interested in a market-based solution to the frat problem. He says schools should be forced to list in public all the hazing and sexual assault claims made against each individual frat. This way, students could at least make informed decisions about which ones to pledge or party with. Right now, it's almost impossible to get that kind of information, even for Doug, who's tried to sue for it. But if you say, and I think you make this argument very convincingly, that the structure of fraternities and maybe the very existence of fraternities is creating conditions for sexual assault, hazing, injury, death, would you rather just ban fraternities altogether or, or force them to gender integrate? I'd, I'd like to be a unicorn, but that's never going to happen. <laughs> so, so which one of those know, propositions is the unicorn, the banning or the forcing them to yeah, admit women? They're never going to be banned. But in, a, in an ideal world, you would... Be a unicorn and that would be the way it was. <laughs> Got it. Well, thank you so much, Doug. Right. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. No problem. That's the show. I'm Christina Cotarucci filling in as host today. You can find my work on Slate.com and on the Slate podcasts Outward and The Waves. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. Help us grow the show. Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Mary Harris, I know you've missed her. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>